As the patient lies in her hospital bed, the oxygen level slowly drops. At first, we put a little tube under the nostrils to give additional oxygen, but this quickly isn't enough. Eventually, the nurses have to switch to a face mask with a little bag underneath, providing oxygen through the mouth and the nose. As we watch her breathing continue to labor, though, it's clear that we will need to assist her more aggressively. We put a mask with a seal over the mouth and the nose, able to provide some additional pressure when she takes a breath in, boosting her weakened lung muscles. After several hours, however, the difficult choice is upon us. It is obvious that even the extra pressure is not enough. The only two options that are left are a breathing tube, known as intubation, or to let her pass peacefully. Intubation is nothing if it is not invasive. It is also not a benign procedure. It is uncomfortable. It is a foreign body in the windpipe, a recipe for pneumonia and other infections. And perhaps worst of all, some people are so sick that they can never come off the ventilator. They end up living in skilled nursing facilities in perpetuity, never able to breathe on their own. In the best cases, an intubation buys the patient long enough for the body to heal itself, allowing the tube to be removed and the patient to resume oxygenating herself. About two-thirds of patients will ever have the tube removed, and about one-third will still be alive after a year. For these reasons, we generally do not intubate a patient unless there is no other viable option. And even then, often patients will decide they prefer to pass peacefully. Haiti is currently in complete collapse. Perhaps no country outside of Somalia and Yemen exhibit more chaos. The population is racked with starvation, wildly out-of-control armed groups, cholera, and kidnappings. What is the answer? A recent poll through a variety of healthcare facilities throughout the country demonstrated that none of the individuals in Haiti believed that the Haitian police could restore order. A large majority supported an outside military coming in to bring the situation under control. The last 30 years have really been the first in history when large nations considered intervening in other countries for humanitarian purposes. Bosnia, Sierra Leone, Somalia, Libya. And as we look over those decades, sending an outside military into another country looks increasingly like an intubation. There have been successes, Sierra Leone and Bosnia being the notable examples, but there have also been debacles, Somalia and Libya chief among them. And as we look on these examples, sending an outside military is a difficult decision. It is something the world will, or rather should only, contemplate when there's no other option. Sending in UN or US troops doesn't solve root problems, in the same way that a ventilator doesn't solve pneumonia. All it does is buy the population time to do the hard work of healing. Yes, in medicine, doctors can give antibiotics, but it is ultimately the body that must heal itself. And a military intervention is not without side effects. Similar to a ventilator causing pneumonia and popped lungs, troops bring their own issues. When there are soldiers, people die, often civilians. It is not necessarily that soldiers are bad people, it's the nature of war. Unfortunately, when dealing with nations and not with patients, the consequences of doing nothing can be catastrophic. Often when we have elderly patients facing a terrible lung disease, we will decide never to start the ventilator. We work to help them feel comfortable, to have family at the bedside, to let them die with peace and dignity. However, when we're thinking about countries of tens of millions of people, this could mean widespread death, genocide, or starvation. In Rwanda in 1994, the world collectively decided to take that option. The world stood by as nearly a million Tutsis were slaughtered throughout the country. And so what should the U.S. do in Haiti? Over the next several episodes, we're going to examine American military involvement in Haiti. And you might say, enough already about Haiti. 
how much can a discussion of America's role in this small Caribbean country matter today? But the history of American interventions in Haiti follows the maturation of America's role in the world. We are going to talk first about the U.S. occupation of Haiti from 1914 to 1934. This was during a time when America did its own brand of colonialism throughout Latin America. Panama, Cuba, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, all had U.S. military occupations. But in most things, I like to use Haiti as an example. In my experience, nothing is done in half measure in Haiti. Foreign relations, economic principles, the results of a failed state, racism, nothing is ever subtle on this island. And in keeping with this, the American occupation in Haiti was the most brutal of them all. After this, it would then be 60 years before U.S. troops stepped again on Haitian soil. In 1994, the most successful, or perhaps the least unsuccessful, American intervention happened, overthrowing a military dictatorship and reinstalling the country's democratically elected leader. But even this action has its nuances. When people today most think of Haiti, though, they probably think of the U.N. occupation between 2004 and 2017. It took over in the aftermath of a civil war, operated through the massive 2010 earthquake, and was riddled with accusations of rape and the introduction of cholera. As we consider the current situation, we aren't talking here about a war fought to defend the United States. And really, there are almost no economic interests for the U.S. in Haiti. Certainly, over the last few years, there has been an alarming increase in immigrants taking to boats to sail to Florida. And the issues in Haiti have drastically affected our allies in the Dominican Republic and the Bahamas. But these are small potatoes. If anything is done in Haiti, it will be done from an altruistic perspective. In considering history and looking at the current crisis, the U.S. will have to decide whether to act. We, as a country, have vacillated left and right on how much we should act in the world. We sent troops to stabilize Somalia in 1993, and this led to our soldiers being dragged through the streets of Mogadishu. After this, we swore off sending our soldiers into unstable regions. When the Rwandan genocide happened in 1994, we stood on the sidelines. We came to wake up to the reality that there was a risk of not doing something, as well as there was of doing something. So we swung the other direction. However, misadventures in Afghanistan and Iraq, even if these weren't exactly humanitarian missions, pushed us back into thinking it might be best if we kept to ourselves. And this is where we find ourselves at the moment. So what should we do in Haiti? And perhaps more importantly, if we do something, what lessons can we apply from history? American or UN or Canadian troops should only be sent into Haiti if there is no other viable option. For the moment, another alternative is difficult to see. The de facto prime minister is wildly unpopular, but even if he were replaced, about 75% of the capital city is in gang hands, and the Haitian National Police is unlikely to be up for the task. We're already seeing famine in parts of the capital city, and I can only speak for my friends. But most of my Haitian colleagues in Haiti say there is no other option to avoid a widespread catastrophe. As we consider what to do, we should also consider what success looks like. Often, when we go into a place like Somalia, we have dreams that a functioning democracy will sprout from the desert landscape. But perhaps these are unrealistic. These grand goals are rarely achieved. But when thinking of success, perhaps we should also consider what we're preventing, what the risks are of not intervening. If the world had sent soldiers to stop the Rwandan genocide, but a functioning democracy was never established, would you consider it worth it? Well, maybe so. In medicine, when we talk of intubation, perfection is rarely possible. It is more realpolitik. Does the good outweigh the bad? And so, as the U.S., Canada, and the U.N. 
contemplate intubating Haiti, we will look back over the past. Has the time come? Are there other options to prevent widespread death? And if it is time, are there ways to avoid the healthcare-associated pneumonias and popped lungs that come with sending an outside military force into Haiti? Thank you for listening. Every other Wednesday, we tell another story from Haiti. Our goal is simply to tell stories as we have seen them in the country. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history. There are many Haitians who can tell the story of Haiti in all its richness, and we encourage you to seek them out. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti, go to lightfromlight.me. Thank you, and God bless.